everyone. This is episode 23 of High Fantasy, member of the Broken Jars Network. I hope it's 23, because that's what I have written down in front of me. <laughs> I've got if we're wrong, it's your down. fault. It might be, but I wrote down 22. Maybe I screwed up. <laughs> 23. It's one of those. It is. Okay. Uh, right. Oh, I screwed up because the episodes are out of order. That's my fault. All right. And so it's t- number 23. I've been vindicated. Uh, have you been productive in the last two weeks, either of you? Yes. Um, no, I wouldn't say um, words-wise. I've done about 2,000 words in the last two weeks, which is not great, but it's not bad. Uh, but we've really hammered down some like story stuff. And plus, I'm starting to write about space whales, which is super fun. So, like, these whales have an entire... Because they're big enough to have their own gravity, they have their own atmosphere. And so they end up swallowing ships and people like don't understand, like they've been living inside this whale for so long that they don't realize there's a world outside of the whale. Okay. So we're, we're taking that hard science thing we talked about last time and just tossing it right out the window. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once in a while, like, hey, there's a science word, but otherwise, this is just fun. Yeah, I mean, but that's the fun part about it is, I mean, we do have some, you know, grounded stuff, but for the most part, we're just having fun with this story, and so I just, like... the Golden Girls in Space story? Yeah. So, yeah, no at some point, they had to fly in from behind the whale, who's using gravitational pulses and time distortion to move, fly behind it, come up, and land on its eye. To get inside of it, it's like uh, just fun I shit to run. <laughs> well, I'm not too far off. It's just in the front instead of the back. <laughs> so it's just just as fun as just fun as hell to write. I haven't had this much fun writing in a maybe ever. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, Colin, have you been productive? Uh, done a thousand, maybe two thousand words. Which is better than nothing, but I'm yeah. busy. Yeah, I haven't written anything, but I've been continuing making the details of my plot. I decided there's got to be like three main obstacles, and I got one of them pretty much figured out. And they hit like number two. It's like, ah, I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I don't know how to do this one. But I don't know. That's kind of what Flying I've been doing. Flying space whales show up. Um, yeah, in Chicago. Well, and that's a great segue into our topic, which is character tropes of characters and just tropes in general. So maybe one of the biggest tropes is the three-act structure, which seems like what you're doing. You have three villains, so those villains are going to fall in that, that you know, building up structure. Well, I'm not doing three villains. I'm doing, like, there's one villain that gives you well, three obstacles. Three obstacles, but still, those... those yeah. Those will probably fit nicely into that those that three act hump of a graph. Maybe I don't know. We'll have to see when I get more of it like plotted out, and then I can put it into a bar graph. Or I don't fucking know. Y- y'all have really seen the, the three act graph, right? Have you have y'all seen that? Sure, but I just don't give a shit about it. Well, I was just making sure <laughs> that I wasn't just like talking out of my ass to people. <laughs> but it's just yeah, I don't care. But tropes of uh, something we're trying to focus on tropes of characters, but we admit we know we're going to get off topic, so it's just tropes, mostly the ones that we hate because, of course, it's us. We like hating on things and ranting. 
It's fun. Alright, so Director awesome. Alex, give us a trope that you hate. I feel like, okay, obviously with the caveat that tropes can be done well, uh, I particularly hate nonsensical villains. The ones that are just evil to be evil without really like any sort of depth to them. And I, I try to avoid things where that happens. And I think I've done so pretty well so far because I can't think of many things other than like just comic book villains that like they keep doing their thing just because rather than having a, a motivation that I'm aware of. Right. I mean, the, the best example of that is the Joker, right? He is the yeah. ultimate. He is evil to be evil. But he's done but so he well. Story. Right. But for the most part, he is just evil to be evil. So I, I think I think that's the like everyone wants to have a Joker kind of villain because he's so chaotic that it's hard to predict where the story's going to go, and I think that's why you get a lot of evil to be evil characters. It's people want this chaos in their story, but they they just look at the Joker and go, "Oh, I'll just do a Joker," and it sucks. I sort of, but like. Okay, admittedly, I don't know all that much about Lord of the Rings, but I kind of feel like Sauron is that, too. Yeah. He's just evil to be evil. He's just the big bad. And The Silmarillion gives him a little more uh, depth that he fell to evil. But without that background, he's just the evil bad guy who lives in the evil bad tower with the evil bad, evil bad everything, basically. Right, yeah, but I always felt with Lord of the Rings, because they did have that um, spiritual, spiritual mystical element, that he was just a, a, essentially a demon. You don't question a demon's, you know, motives. He's a demon. He wants to destroy things. Well, no, I think that questioning a demon's motives can be just fine. Like, uh, okay, so Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings kind of as Christian allegory, right? And C.S. Lewis essentially did the same thing with Narnia. I didn't really read Narnia, but I read C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters, and in it, he was describing how to subvert a good person into being a bad person. You don't do it by making them commit murders. You do it by making them disingenuous to themselves and just like needling others in like really shitty personality ways. It's like you can give demons motivations. But their motivation is a certain thing. So, I mean, I always took uh, Saruman's uh, motivation was to be bad. You know, it, it's simple, but it's there. I mean, at least part of what I understood of what's going on in the Lord of the Rings story is that he wanted the ring so he could go back to being corporeal, right? And so, like, that's at least one motivation. But I the mean, rest of it, what he was wanting to accomplish after that... It's just it's, evil. Well, and part yeah, of it's, it's just, you know, it's ultimate power, right? I mean, that's... I mean, that's one of the the easiest tropes you fall into with villains is just ultimate power. They want the power. Period. If that means destroying the universe in doing so, uh, did we lose Alex? Alex? I think so. I think we've lost her for the time being. I can hear her? I can't hear her. Okay, I can kind of hear you. Uh, But I I feel like, uh, especially one of the tropes of villains, is the just power. They want, they have power and they want more of it. It's the, you know, uh, absolute Power corrupts absolutely tropes. Alex, did you finish Farseer? No. No. I feel like Regal 
he's got like a little motivation. Well, he's just evil. I think Regal, he wanted to be the king, right? And he was and even the second son. So. And even when he's king, he's just evil. Because he's petulant. But yes. But he it, has he never... like zero other qualities besides I hate him because he's evil. Yeah, and that's another thing that I think you're verging on of just like uh, making a character do really evil things like kicking puppies just so that people hate him <laughs> rather than giving him a motive, like any form of depth. It's just like he like tortures kitties. Well, for the most part, people write stories about heroes, not villains. And so right, a hero needs a villain to be a hero. Right, right, but you can off you can a lot of times you can get away with the a very tropey villain like let's talk about Hunger Games. It's the ultimate evil government, right? Evil government trope. Uh Harry Potter, you've got evil sorcerer trope. Um Ready Player One, evil government group. You know, you have all the or evil corporation group. So it's a lot of times the villain ends up becoming the trope. It's they are the tropey ones, not the heroes. Mm. Because I mean, you can definitely get away with a tropey villain over a tropey hero. Right, because you, you don't but, care about the villain as much. But we're going to be analytical, so we should hate on tropey villains, because even if it works... Yeah, I mean, and yes, they can work. It's just that I like the villain in which I'm also guessing what they're going to be doing, other than, yeah, they're just evil. Right, but a lot of times, I think in writing, not saying good or bad, I'm just saying that uh, people will use a tropey villain so they don't have to worry about the, they don't have to really plot the villain. If, you, if, you're, if you're building a very dynamic villain, you have to plot the villain as well as your main hero or your main cast, and so you, your plot becomes much more multifaceted, right? Uh-huh. And I think I, I, that's a lot that's out of the depth of a lot of writers, even great writers. I think it that's also, out of the depth of. It also helps create very quickly a sympathetic hero if you hate the villain. Right. Yeah. And if you don't really care about the hero, you just want the hero to win. I mean, most of it comes down to what I would call evil king trope. It's an evil king of some kind. Evil sorcerer, evil government, evil corporation, evil whatever. They, they control a lot of things and we're rebelling against this evil control of X. Which is the most tropey story ever, I think. And Grant, that's one of my favorite stories of all time in Ready Player One. I love that book, but it is tropey as fuck and I will admit it <laughs> straight up. It's like Ready Player One is that B movie you hate to admit you like, but you really, really like it. <laughs> I mean, that's what that book is for me. Well, I, I don't know. I guess I really like the situations now in which I'm not sure if the evil guy actually should be vanquished because he's conflicting. Like, like the evil person who also like saves an orphanage or something. It's like shit. Now I'm conflicted. <laughs> Like House of Cards, I guess, is a good example of like I'm never sure if I'm watching that. Like, am I rooting for the Underwoods? Do I want them to fall because they're evil? Am I happy that they won? I don't know. What about <laughs> I uh, keep watching. Marconi? He's a good guy. Is it Marcone he or Marconi? He's a mobster. Marconi. Marcone. I always Marcone. say Marcone, but that's me. It's, it's, that's the way both. Jim says it. It's Marcone. Okay. I'll take that. I think that's how I read it until I heard heard people start saying Marconi and I'm like 
But yeah, well, in, in the audiobooks, he's Marconi for the first two or three and then switches to Marconi. Uh, yeah. So. He is a mobster. He is a mobster. But he's a mobster with a heart of gold. Yes. So. Okay, he's a that's guy. a trope. That's a trope I, I, I actually really hate. It's the evil person with the heart of gold. They're doing evil things, but they, they're they doing it the right way. Whoa. Okay, I guess so Marcone doesn't really do too many evil things. He runs. He does everything. He He's a, a mobster. He runs drugs. He kills people. He just doesn't hurt kids. He doesn't hurt kids. He makes sure that the people under him are well taken care of. So yeah, he has a couple of whorehouses that are dressed up as uh, high quality gyms. But the people are taken <laughs> care of. They're healthy. They're forced to get STD testing and things like that. And it's like he's providing all of the sins <clears throat> while making sure everyone's taken care of. And so it's the most ethical way of doing it. It just happens to be illegal. Okay, so is that a most trope? Most ethical doesn't mean it's really positive good. <laughs> okay, this is like getting into... He's doing bad things in the nicest but, way. Okay, is it wrong for someone to ingest something because they want to? Right, well, that was my question. Is Marcone a... Is, is he a sympathetic figure because most of belie- most of us believe what he does should be legal, even though it's illegal? Well, like, I mean, it's it's a very gray area, and I love it, but, like, <laughs> making sure that things are done safely is, I think, more important than making sure it's never done. And making a nice profit on the side doesn't hurt. Exactly. Well, and, which, of course, he also turns around to helping people of Chicago. The sympathetic, I mean, sympathetic villain is a trope that can really work. You know, it's, but I, I, a lot of, I, th- I feel like a lot of people use a sympathetic villain to create really contrived controversy when it doesn't need to be there. Sure. Like, I mean, Butcher, I mean, especially early on with Marcone, it is sort of a, a foil for Dresden. You know, Marcone's business comes in contact with Dresden's, et cetera, et cetera. But later on, it becomes much more of a an, an ally you don't want to admit you have sort yeah. of relationship. Yeah, it, it's very much that. A resourceful um, one. Right. Well, it's... I mean, we all know we all know this that trope, the uh, res- resourceful evil. A lot of, like, crime shows are based around that. You look at, like, elementary or white collar. You have this criminal, not not really within the law, but in the law kind of idea. And so they go with it because it helps. And they're seen as heroes because they're helping things. But they're also breaking laws at the same time. Slightly tangential. Is that another trope? The villain who's has this massive criminal enterprise that just nobody knows about that somehow still manages to be completely powerful. Like, unlimited resources for a villain who realistically probably would have been noticed by now if he had that kind of clout. I mean, I know it in TV. Um, I definitely have seen it in TV, but I I haven't... I don't know about books. I can actually think of a a book example. Um, When I was still willing to read James Patterson's books he had with a maximum ride with like the teenagers that have wings and mutants and all sorts of <coughs> dumb shit uh at some point they decided to introduce uh, this huge global corporation that's 
that you see everywhere. And oh my god, they're ev like so terrible apparently, but they're also like own every single industry ever. Um, reminds me of um, to go back to what Jacob was saying about B class things that you have to admit you love. I loved the first four or five seasons of 24. <laughs> and then it just became like everybody's a spy and a traitor and a villain. And it's the, the schemes got so widespread and the villains everywhere. And well, that, like, that, that's the escalation uh, trope, right? Yeah. It's like, Where, okay, at this point, the, enti the president's entire cabinet are traitors or something like that. It's like, how do you, right. How do you uh, it was something that uh, a more a Marvel person I saw at a Comic Con uh, thing was like. It's like once you destroy the world, you don't have a lot of places to go, so you really got to meter yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so a lot. So you you always have to do something. You always have to escalate your story. At least, you know, in, in normal pop culture, you do. You you have to go from basic private eye to okay, he's pretty good to having great abilities to taking on the town's worst villains to taking on region's best villains to take, you know, however you want to do the stair-step ladder, that happens. And I mean, we also get into like OP tropes where we're talking about like powering our of heroes and villains and stuff, which I think Dresden is falling into a bad level for. To be honest, well, I mean, Butcher is a great writer, and I think he can write himself out of it, but he's getting into this really weird power structure uh, that I'm not sure he can recover from. And I think that's one reason why the book is taking so long. Well, we are heading towards the big apocalyptic trilogy, really? so we, yeah. we know that it's going to keep escalating to the point that everything goes to shit. Right. And, you know, there, there's part of me as a Dresden fan who really hates the ramp up and power in stories because I really loved the hard-boiled gumshoe storyline that was present the first three, four, five bucks. I really like that. And now that it's yeah. gone, I kind of like, I still love the series, but part of the mystique is lost for me. I mean, my favorite book out of the Codex Alera series was book two because the kid didn't have any powers the only thing he had in midst of all sorts of political problems and other people who did have powers was he just had the ability to think and convince people to do what he wanted and it didn't always work out for him but like it was just how can the character be really resourceful instead of <coughs> uh throwing a bunch of fire at something i guess fitz chivalry is a lot like that in the earlier half of that trilogy the skill and whatnot doesn't really play too much of a role until later on. Sort of. Sort of. Also, uh, Lock. What's his name? Uh, Lockamore. Yeah. He's just damn clever. Mm-hmm. He's like not very big. He's not imposing. He can fight kind of well, but the only thing he can do is outthink people, essentially. I do like the few handfuls of fights he gets away with, and then some fights he just gets his ass kicked. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so do you want to so, hit the, like, the biggest trope of all? Just, just We may not dissect it completely, but do you want to hit the biggest trope of all? Sure. The hero's journey? Yeah. 
I mean, it is the majority of our stories, right? Uh, have you actually read the book, you know, from Bruce Campbell? Do you mean John Campbell? Is it John or Bruce? Joseph. John. Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell. Is Sorry, he, I, I. Bruce Campbell is an actor, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I believe he cuts off his hand with a chainsaw. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Sorry, wrong Campbell. There, there's, there's lots of Campbell, but yeah, like. We've been telling this story since the beginning of time, essentially. It's called the Hero, the Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell, by the way. Right. It's it's a fantastic read. Uh, it's over there somewhere. 1,000% recommended if you're going to be a writer. Because once you start reading, you're like, oh, wait. Oh, okay. And you start slotting stories into like each type of the journey. If you've ever heard the rant about uh, Pachelbel and Canon D, this is the literature version. Everything just follows this progression. There really is no variation. And it kind of makes sense because obviously it's... you need the ramp up of tension as like heroes get more powerful probably and more knowledgeable. And that's also the time that the readers learn about the situations. It's like it's you need the ramp up of the hero's journey. And if you want the ultimate hero's journey, just watch uh, Star Wars A New Hope. It is almost word for word a a hero's journey. Okay. Since you brought up Star Wars, Mm -hmm. one trope that it's not that I hate it, but I'm kind of tired of is whatever you call Obi-Wan. I'm a little tired. The The mentor mentor. who shows up, teaches you a few things, and then dies because it leaves the the main character like. Uh, lost and I get that it creates tension and like hopefully it creates like some sort of sorrow but like it's the old I mean this is I mean that plays into the three three act structure because okay so if you think about Star Wars we have um, Luke learning building his uh, aunt and uncle die he goes to Mos Eisley loss of innocence loss of innocence that's act one right act one right there Act two is the, you know, being on the Death Star, growing and learning, mentor dies. That's the, you know, precursor to push him forward, going into Act three, destroying the Death Star. I mean, that is the ultimate Act three hero's journey move is killing the uh, the teacher. Because, it, I mean, it, it falls into into that sort of surrogate parency uh loved one kind of thing where they're not necessarily avenging that person, but they're kind of avenging that person. Yeah. I'm just, I don't know because it's so useful. It happens all the time. I'm just a little tired of it. (laughs) I mean, it it is, it's, it's an easy trope. It's an easy thing to fall into because everyone, well, the nice thing about these tropes is everyone understands it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So you don't have to con- like convince them that they learned it on their own. Because a lot of times our stories, especially fantasy sci-fi, involves people learning things. <laughs> where mm-hmm. that may or may not be the right way to go. Um, like in Andromeda's Love, we're placing these people, they're older so they know things. And that's where the comedy comes from is they know that oh, this shit's going to be bad, and they're talking about how shitty it's going to be, and then they're like, oh, well, shit, I guess we got to do it. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So, 
but for the most part, people more identify with the learning, growing person. It's harder to put someone in the mind frame of an older person who's at the tail end of their career who's got one last job to do, which is a whole other trope, but you don't see a whole lot of one last job movies. You see a whole lot of one first job movies. I don't know. I can think of any form of like actor who does action movies and then they like go over 50. They start doing the one last job movies. Yeah, but but it's one last job for that actor, but but normally at least in the last 10 years it's been inside of a franchise where they're like Oh, we brought this guy in for one last job, but it's like Expendables 2 when there's like Expendables 12 now or whatever the fuck it is. It should never have been a series. No, definitely not. That hey, it makes the money. Dollar bills, dollar bills, y'all. <coughs> I'm starting to really hate franchises just because. I am too, and I used to love them. I used to love them, but now I hate them. I mean. I, I know that Marvel is making, like, unbelievable amounts of money, but I hate watching any of their movies and then realizing I'm just watching a commercial for the next movie, which is going to be a commercial for the next movie. I, See, they're almost done, though, aren't they? Uh, they have said. Yeah. Yeah, they're almost they're, done. I thought they're continuing for another five years or something. I thought yeah. they had, like, one more big Avengers movie and then they were going to start over. Uh, yeah, that's essentially how it's going to be. At least uh, as what I understand. It's a Fanny Wars in 2018 and kind of go from there. But, I mean, I don't feel like they, they're they not... Most of them aren't commercials for other things. Some of them are. But they're not like DC or like the Pirates movies. Fuck. Definitely, like, they have moments of, oh, this is just a commercial for the next one. That's like whatever they have. Moments, the sure, but I mean... The credits... Like, some of some of the movies in the Marvel franchise are fantastic. Like the second Captain America movie is just amazing. Like it might be the best single Marvel movie out there. Yeah, I never got around to watching it because I got fed up with Marvel already. <laughs> You're just a hater. You like to hate. Eh, I'm I calling really you on your shit, woman. When I go see uh, the second Guardians of the Galaxy, there's just like minutes dedicated to, oh, guess what the next movie is going to be about. It's like, I don't care. I want to watch this movie, not the next one. Ugh. Well, anyway, I want to I wanna get into my probably least favorite trope, especially in TV, but just in general, is con- contrived stupidity. So we have this this these he, hero or heroes who are we were beat down about how smart they are. They're smart motherfuckers, right? But when it's convenient to the plot, they just become stupid and miss the most obvious stuff. Uh, the biggest one I can think of for me is White Collar. Um, I love that show. Uh, if you haven't watched it, it's essentially Catch Me If You Can, the TV version. Uh, it's really good. Uh, Matt Bomber has amazing suits. Uh, <laughs> no, I will not lie. I've watched the show just to see his suits. But I am a straight guy. I promise. We don't care. <laughs> but don't anyway. Your straightness. Uh, like, there are certain times where they, they will... 
the story will put these two very smart people and they they have they've built them up to be very very smart but most of the major season plot points revolve around them doing something very very stupid or not understanding what's going on like they just it's just stupidity for stupidity's sake and i hate it <laughs> like and you see it a lot especially in video games or like you just forget shit you know, like you're just stu- you're stupid again for some reason. Like you spent tw- 12, 15 hours learning all this stuff, and all of a sudden it's all taken away from you. It, you know, I just I hate it. I hate it so much. The moment I stopped watching Twenty Four was I think it was mid middle of season six. This chip or something of some computer program or whatnot was stolen. And Jack Bauer races through the streets and eventually catches up to the guy, fights him, kills him, and gets the chip back. And the very first thing he does is turn to the nearest cop, give him the chip, and say, get this back to headquarters. Right. I mean, that's, like, that's how it is, right? This thing that's, is stolen. <laughs> that, that's what I'm talking about. Like, you just don't do that kind of shit. And I, I think the worst that. part was that nothing went wrong there. I think it got back. It's like... We have learned through six seasons of this show not to do that. He does it, and nothing happens. Right. It, it, it's it's a, it's a trope of no one ever learns. They, even though they're progressing since season one or book one or whatever, they're still not learning th- through all of this, right? And I just I hate con- contrived stupidity. I just uh, like I. That's eventually why I put down Harry Potter. I was like, nope, this is stupid. Like, they're, they're being stupid for stupidness sake at this point. I'm like, I'm done. Yeah, the villains sometimes just don't do anything they should do. Right. At any point. Like, like uh, Goblet of Fire. Just put a knife in Harry's throat. <laughs> don't, uh, don't offer him to a duel. Just fucking kill the kid. And you win. You win. That's... Book over. And if all your minions are upset that you didn't battle this kid to the death, kill them too. Right. Because you can. Yes, <laughs> you, you know? Can. Just, just, I mean, you see more in the villains than heroes, but still, it's just one of those things where, like, we have built this person up. Because generally, heroes and villains are both built up to be, you know, superhuman. <coughs> and they just do the dumbest shit, like, not texting their partner or calling their partner, hey, I need backup. You know, if it's that that simple of a thing, I just... But it happens all the time in literature and TV where people are just like, oh, yeah, I I feel super smart, so I'm just going to go in, no big deal. You know? And they get captured or whatever, and it's... uh, uh, What about the uh, evil villain monologues when they can just kill the guy? Yeah, yeah. Or even the good guy monologues, damn you, Wolverine. Like, there's, there's, that's what I hate the most is when people do things that are against who they are reported to be. Because, especially, you know, a lot of TVs or movies or books, these are super villains. We're not just talking like little villains, we're talking super villains, right? We're talking badass motherfuckers. And all of a sudden, you know, they've been spending years terrorizing the universe. And they finally get the hero, and they're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk shit to this guy. When he, when every other time, he just, like, 
breaks her head off. But no, this one guy, I'm going to talk shit to because I can. I hate that shit. I hate it so much. I think that's why I enjoy the Austin Powers movies sometimes so much. Because they just make fun of it. Right, right. And that's why... Well, and tropes are why the parody movies work. Because they're making fun of the tropes. But yeah, they sometimes I, hurt your appreciation of movies you once enjoyed. I hate, I hate it. I hate, I hate it so much. Like it, it hurts my soul. Like White Collar, I love as a show. It's a fantastic show until they pull out the contrived stupidity stuff, which happens at least once per season. Like, uh, like you're watching the show. It's like really good, really good, great writing, really good directing, everything else, everything else, and then. Ah, oh, shit. Skip episode. <laughs> That's just how it is. Yeah, it's uh, a weird sort of symptom of I need drama to happen, but I don't know how to get it to occur in the first place. Well, And I feel like a thing that really suffers from it is any form of romance. Oh, like, yeah. Isn't that the foundation of every rom-com ever? I yeah, so. I, yeah, I think so. Well, in, Just in, talk. In White Collar and shows like it, it's um, cop with a you know CI who they can't, may or may not be able to trust. So they build the trust and all that stuff. But yeah, almost every rom com is you know contrived stupidity, or most sitcoms are too as well. Like if someone were just to say like, "Look, I fucked up," no problems ever, ever in a rom in, a, in you know like a, a sitcom. Or just say, hey, you fucked up. This is what you did wrong. Hey, but ben ba- Big Bang Theory has been on the, C- on the TV for, I'll be 11 years <laughs> in September. So I guess it works in itself. But I hate it. I hate it so much. Like, like I hate watch Big Bang Theory for about two seasons. And I was like, I'm done. That gets onto one of the tropes I hate character creation be uh, either flaw or just single aspect characters. Do you mean quirky characters? Not necessarily. Well, in terms of Big Bang, yes. Quirky. Hmm. Sheldon's the... I don't even know what the hell Sheldon is now. He's just the punchline. Well, yeah, but now he's got his own... uh, You know he's getting another show, right? Dear God. God. Young Sheldon. It's happening. They were promoing at Comic-Con. It's like... Raj is the guy who can't talk to girls. Um, ha- Howard is the creepy sex pervert. Right. Myers. Leonard's the normal guy for the show. Sheldon's the autistic guy who. Y- yeah, he's a, he's easy eccentric. Penny's the dumb blonde. Yeah. It just and- it gets boring when characters aren't anything but. I don't want to use the word trope because we're talking about no. tropes, but they're just. A personification of something. No, they they become caricatures True. of themselves right. because well, they started that way on the Big Bang. Right? If you start, if you if you watch the first two seasons of Big Bang, Big Bang, they're absolute gold. They are funny. Yeah, right. They're, I really love them. I th- I think they did really well, especially when I, I was watching them. It's more what they did to Sheldon than anything. Right, but they become they become caricatures caricatures of themselves it happens in friends it happens in how i met your mother like the really great shows don't uh, shows or books for this matter don't allow that to happen 
because the easy thing to do is like Murphy is the righteous one in Dresden Files. You know, he, right? But you know, Michael. but Murphy is seen as that like she always wants to do the best. Like, she wants to do good. She wants it all. You know, she is the law-abiding citizen. You know, Dresden has that, you know, open-eyed vision of her as this glorious angel kind of thing. It would be very easy to make her into the trope of this righteous woman who gets into trouble because she's so righteous. But he actually doesn't, which is a good thing. But a lot of people will do that. They end up becoming... I think that's what makes the end of skin game so great she fucks up right yeah yeah she fucks apart but i think that's like where you defeat the tropes is where you you don't fall into this idea of oh my these people are always this way and they can't change you know and you run into that in a lot of books a lot of book series is where people essentially only end up becoming tropes of themselves. Flanderized. Yes, exactly. Flanderized. <laughs> Flanderization. Yeah. Um, or even Homerized. I mean, Homer is Homer. Flanderization. Um, I mean, it's something that, like, as something gets further on and more popular, I think it's it suffers more, um, and probably more in TV than anything, because, like, well, people will constantly quote their favorite lines from that funny character who's so witty and then that person just has to be the person who makes witticisms and cutting remarks. I, I like that community kind of make fun of it a little bit. Writer turnover on shows and new writers have to go off old writers and well, what's the easiest way to do that is to just take what the character's trope is and go with it. Yeah, and I hate it. Um, Which might explain the Simpsons. But kind of connected to this is I dislike characters that are just quirks. Like, uh, was it Abby from NCIS or something? Oh, dear God. <laughs> I love that show, but oh, my God. Well, I mean, that's essentially who April Ludgate is from Parks and Rec. I love her character because I think she's hilarious, but she's just witticisms and pessimism. <laughs> yeah. and, and what's his name? Andy is the lovable idiot. Right. And, and they work together. I mean, that's a whole other trope. I mean, if you want to talk about tropey characters, and I, I don't know, maybe they were like, hey, let's make, let's do tropey shit and see what happens with that show. I mean, as we always say, it can work. It can right. work. And I think it did work. But what I really hate is a character that's held up as being quirky and oh so funny because of it and it's a benefit to them. I love characters who have quirks and it's a detriment to them. The best examples I can think of is the Ethereals in Cinder Spires. They had quirks, I cannot think of a better way to call it, and it made it harder for them to function. And I loved it. But when it becomes like, uh, like the, you often see it in investigative TV shows, like, oh, the, the, the mentalist, like he's a weird guy, he's got all these quirks, but it helps him allowed to um, like solve the cases better. I'm really tired of that. It's, it's uh, probably the best example of it because they meant to do it was 500 Days of Summer. Have you, have you all seen that movie? No. You should. It's really good. Um, it's this, it's an out of order romance. So they jump around this, like these, this couple was together for 500 days and they break up spoilers. Um, it's, uh, uh, Josh Gordon Lovett and, uh, Zoe Deschanel. 
And it's really good, but it, it does really play on those tropes of, oh, this person is perfect because of these reasons. Yeah. Or I mean, their quirkiness helps them because of these reasons. And it's something that actually, like, the mo- the uh, the narrator gets into was, like, Zoe Deschanel was so pretty, she always got 20% off of rent, and she never knew why. You know, like, they just play into it full bore in the movie. It's so good. Yeah, I like it when quirks are bad things to people. Like, I just thought of this thing that I... I'm probably going to misremember, but I think Douglas Adams had like an urban fantasy investigator, something or other. The guy's a PI and he has magical abilities, but he doesn't think he does. Like at one point when he was studying in university, he was like just doing like a a study sheet for himself. And it turns out it was word for word what the test was previously in the past year. It's like, how did you get this? Because it's down to the single comma. He had it correct. And he says, no, I just, I studied, I uh, watched what you did in terms of what your patterns are. And I just made the thing knowing what you would do. And he doesn't realize that he just actually kind of did a magical thing there. And so it's a detriment to him, but also yeah. makes him able to do things. Yeah. Douglas Adams did some great stuff. Like have you ever played Starship Titanic? No. It's a very clunky game because you use some like full motion video and that kind of stuff. But it's all written by Douglas Adams. And it's hilarious. Dirk Gently. That was the, the serious. Oh, episode. yeah. I remember him. Yeah. Um, but, like, whenever you have a quirky person, it has to in- show their flaws instead of just making them so perfect. But with, like, the 500 Days of Summer, I think I've heard her called a manic pixie dream girl, which people have been talking about a lot in the past few years as being terrible. And it just seems to be like some form of love interest that gives the male character usually a reason to do something. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know the manic pixie dream girl trope and they they point at it for 500 days of summer. But I really don't think it's that because she is a, she is her own person. Uh, you know, she is developed separately from him. It's just. Uh, yeah, it could be that. They were just poking fun of it, and people. I've heard the words in together probably as she's not this sort of. They subverted it. Another thing that subverted it was um, Eternal Sunshine, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which was an amazing movie, it's and kind of has a girl. She would fall into it, except for she's really fucked up, and she specifically calls out, "It's like guys always want me to fix their problems. I have too many problems on my own. Don't assign me yours." Right. Yeah. No, that movie is fantastic. If you. If you haven't seen Eternal Sunshine, watch that movie. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, Where does Luna Lovegood fit in? <sighs> she is. Uh, on the good side. Hmm. But she's not. She's not like a uh, manic pixie. No. At all. I, like, she's quirky. She's very quirky, but she's not like. I mean, she's almost just a plot device, really. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's who she is. She's there to throw some random, obscure, quirky knowledge his way so it helps him figure out a problem. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, she ends up mostly being a plot device, but as a character, she's just... I mean, she's sort of that random, wise person. 
We see them in games a lot that like one person who shows up like you shouldn't do that. And it happens all the time in games, you know. Usually they're a child. Or they're like a boss you have to defeat or you can't get around like they're not really a boss, but it used to happen a lot in like especially adventure games where this old wise person would ask you a riddle and if you try to walk by them like a snake would bite you. And you would die, so you had to learn the answer to the <laughs> riddle to get by the snake and the wise person. So, I mean, that that that's a big trope I've seen a lot. <laughs> Play King's Quest Five, people. You'll understand. <laughs> okay, I've got another trope that I dislike. Okay. And it's uh, the dead loved ones that only serve a purpose of giving cause for plot. You mean or, like every superhero movie, every fantasy movie, every sci-fi? I mean, you're, you're talking like 75% of movies here, right? I haven't even seen maybe. it, but Batman vs. Superman. Well, I yeah. haven't seen that either, but I mean, that's Harry I mean, that's Harry Potter. I mean, the dead parents are the catalyst. Um, I mean, so often I can think of like uh, a person with a tragic, like he's kind of fucked up because, oh, wife and baby were killed 10 years ago. Who Bad guy's still out there. Well, you see that uh, as a trope on both sides, actually. You see a lot of that as the, you know, for the sympathetic villain trope. Where, oh, their wife and kids were killed by big banking or big agricultural. And so this person now is on a vendetta against them and they're murdering people because of it. You know, you see a lot of that in movies. You see a lot of that in general, to be honest. I just, what is it, like, there's a, a girlfriend killed and shoved in a refrigerator trope name thing of, like, this person exists just to die tragically and give, like, reason for revenge or plot or whatever. And also connected to this is whatever the over-the-top suffering backstory that you see in, like, Lifetime movie, movie channels of, like, oh, this woman was raped by, like, five people and stomped on by an elephant and blah, 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 blah. Blech. Like, it's so over-the-top that it's just ridiculous and I don't care. <laughs> I do think one of my favorite subversions of that dead parents trope is um, are you guys familiar with the Chronicles of Pride Nope. Lloyd no. Alexander, uh, The Book of Three? No. Damn, you guys are significantly lacking. I've seen the words thrown around, but I don't know anything okay. about them. But uh, five books, young adult, high fantasy series, one of my favorite series. Um, the fourth book is entirely the orphan main character going on the journey to figure out who his parents were. And by the end of the book, he just never finds out. No one knows. Okay. Of course, it ends in the trope of he looks into the pond and sees his own reflection and realizes he has to stay down his own. Eh. But he's, no one knows who's, who his parents are. Well, I mean, I don't know. We're, we're, we've always said that tropes sound right work. The other thing is, is that you know what? If you're full tropey and you do it creatively, it doesn't. That's pretty good as well, you know. Like there are literally thousands of years of literature before us. If you think you can do something unique, you're a fucking stupid person. And that's Jacob's own opinion. Don't quote Alex or Colin here, but if you think you can do something unique out of Billions of pages. More power to you. Also, you're stupid, apparently. <laughs> and you're a super motherfucker. I'm getting really mixed messages here. 
No, go for it. If you can do it, go for it. But if you think you're just doing do something, well. yeah, you just got to do do it well. Anything, all the things we're writing are tropey, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just how it is. We're, we're, we're all just tropey because writing has been around for so long that all these tropes have developed that, you know what? All you can do is hope to God you do it well. <laughs> I mean, that's what Codex Alera was made out of. Someone gave him two stupid ideas, he put it together, and with enough skill, he made a six-book best-selling novel series. Right. Well, that was, uh, it was, how do you put it? Because I asked him about it, he's like, I told that guy he was a fucking moron and said I could do it. I could do it. Mm-hmm. And so the guy said he gave him Lost Roman Legion and Pokemon as two stupid ideas. And there's a distinct lack of Pokemon in the series. I mean, there's sort of Pokemon. He, there's Pokemon elements. But it's more elemental spirits element than Pokemon. <laughs> but he makes it work. Yeah. There are more Pokemon in the beginning than in the end. That series does a complete 180. Kind of does, It yeah. gets really weird. I couldn't get through the first book. But I also, I also do audio, I mean, and the reader is just so bad. The first book starts with the most tropiest beginning ever. It's just a farm boy. Well, that's why it's tropey because it tends to work. And that's why we were like, we were like, we talked about it with him at Comic Con in 2014. He's like, yeah, I just decided to go for the most tropiest beginning I could think of because I knew I could do it. Farm boy. Farm boy. I'm a little tired of farm boys because I kind of want to read about like some gutter rat in some giant city that's terrible. Well, I mean, for that, it's the same life. trope. It's just a different location. But there's a slight... I don't know. No, no, so the, no, 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 no. Wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> a trope boy and a sewer rat are the same thing. They're just different locations. Yeah. With slightly different compunctions and problems. But I, I'm really curious why Farm Boy took off. Are you really curious? Are you really asking this question? Something to do with Tolkien, probably. No, but. it's fucking Star Wars. <laughs> that movie is 46 years old now. We've had two generations of people who have grown up watching a farm yes, boy defeat the Empire. started before that. Well, yeah, farm yeah. boy was always a trope, but I think that's what submitted it, sub, cemented it in all of our you know, collective uh, memories and imaginations. Oh, okay. I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't Maybe think because it's the farm boys start of stories way predates. Right, yeah. but I'm talking like even, mass cultural. I don't know. I don't submersion know. is Star Wars, but if you want to go back for that, I mean, there's, I mean, you got Joseph in the Bible with coat of many colors. Jacob. I mean, there's Abraham. I mean, I mean. Dave, King David, basically the only person in the Bible who wasn't a farm boy was Jesus himself. Like he has subverted his own trope. Most people were farmers, so most people were, but he wasn't. So, like I'm saying, he even subverted his own trope. And that's probably why it's a trope, is because most people reading it are going to be farm boys. Exactly. Not anymore, which is why it stands out so contradictory now but you can also do so much with farm boys 
Like, because they have to have certain responsibilities. They have to uh, take care of the cows. They have to oink the pigs and, you know, all that stuff where, you know, inner city kids, they may or may not have to have those designed responsibilities that you can no, go. They need survival you, instincts. Right. Well, but but with the assigned responsibilities, you can go like, oh, this is how I just, you know, I was taught to deal with this. Where, you know, inner city kids, you have this more like less structured surviving by any means that may or may not bring out a good protagonist, you know, because surviving by any means on the streets might be like, oh, yeah, I'm selling my body for money or dealing drugs. And then I get the religion, whatever could be. That's another trope I hate, getting the religion. I hate that trope. Getting, getting the religion? Getting the religion, yeah. Where someone, like... Um, the, the biggest thing is... Uh, easiest example is Matrix, where, you know, he doesn't really believe for a long time, and then he then Neo really realizes what they're saying is true. He gets the religion. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it in movies where it's the uh, unwilling protagonist, the, the, oh, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, oh my god, you're right, now I'm all in and we win. I mean, mean, that's what it is. I dislike that only because, pretty much only because, it just comes off as so preachy and self-serving instead of... But you see it all the time. (laughs) Yes. Like the the uh, the un- the um oh um. I mean, that's I've had rants about this essentially thing before with like the whole sort of truth series and all of like the bad guy that's it's all communism there. and the way that he won that book was just by the way your life is your own you don't owe your shit to the state and other people and then it's like oh my god it's so wonderful and at the end of the book the entire city is just liberated. This runs into the um, I don't remember the exact name for it but it's essentially the bounty hunter trope where this person gets hired to do something and then he realizes what he's doing is more important than himself. So he sac- You see a lot he'll sacrifice himself or do something super dangerous for the cause that he had no belief in before. And so it's, it's sort of that getting the religion trope that I just, I hate. I mean, I really hate things that are preachy. And I think with religion, it can get a little bit more grating. Like, I mean, it, he didn't do it badly, but in Mistborn, I kind of disliked the ending. Well, when I say getting the religion, it's a, you know, well, co- colloquial term about buying into the program. Right. But so I already knew that Sanderson was Mormon and therefore like teaching at BYU, fairly religious. And when the end of Mistborn, the answer was religion, not just any religion, but the true religion after the character who was so religious had this whole like crisis of faith. It was deciding, hey, this one is really dumb because it's really inconsistent. That one is also inconsistent in other ways. And he had known so many of the religions of that world. And then it was the one true religion that he'd been looking for that was the answer. And it just kind of grated on me. And as soon as I finished that series, I started in on Stormlight Archive. And uh, Shallon was so shocked to meet Jasna, who's a professed atheist. He's like, oh my god, how can you live without religion? And I just fucking almost threw the book across the room. (laughs) I got really irritated with that. 
I don't know, the preachiness that can happen in books really grates on me. And well, I probably it, want to do an entire book or episode on that. Well, we, we can do that, but you also, it's... You, you can define the reasons why you write, you know? I mean, we all have the different reasons why we put pen to paper. And for some of us, it's just because it's fun. For some of us, it's other reasons. So, you know, it's, it's something like, I mean, I would, maybe, that, maybe that should be our next episode. Religion in books. I'll actually put it more like politics in books because it's not always religion. Okay, yeah. Uh, Miles in a long time and how he just never stops preaching philosophy ever. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy it, but it, it's just like I don't know, it's kind of a trope because it's whatever it is that the author thinks is right will be forced to be right. And I think that's where you come into Mary Sue's a lot, which hilariously we have not talked about yet. Oh my So pretty much near an hour so let's discuss the mary sues in general and then we'll close that how out. did we not stroke. we also didn't do uh what's the other one uh two sex machina oh yeah and we could talk about both those right now. those are episodes yeah those are entire episodes like mary sues and deus like machina are entire episodes so this I mean, is well the few times we haven't gotten through an entire like Trello cards worth of information in an episode. Because we are good at all sorts of stuff. Maybe next time we'll just do trope, you know, tropes uh, version two. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It depends on how much work we are willing to put into it, honestly. Because we might have to dig a little bit deeper for the tropes now. Well, considering we only hit like the three big ones, I think we're doing okay. Okay. But. So we're at pretty much an hour now that we've talked about not tropes. Um, Don't want to dive into Mary Sue. Yeah, let's do not do that. Well, let's do that for next time. Okay. Or we can just do well, more tropes and make sure we start with Mary Sue's. Okay. Plug or shit, because I hate doing that. That'll be another ranting episode. Um, you can find me at, uh, at Jacob Ingles on Twitter. Uh, hit us up on Patreon, Broken Jar, or patreon.com forward slash Broken Jars. You can chat with us. We're online all the time. Uh, uh, at Broken Jars Pod on, or is it at Broken Jars on Twitter? Or is it at Broken Jars Pod? At Broken Jars Pod, I think. At Broken Jars Pod on Twitter. Same with Reddit. Uh, yeah, we're all over the place. Hit us up. Um, give us your hard earned money if you feel like it. Uh, yeah, so here's another episode of High Fantasy. High Fantasy. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye. Bye.